I'm Dave Corlew. I'm senior pastor at Arlington Countryside Church, and I want to thank you for joining me online today. Weird times in which we live. Uh, a lot of things going on that I've never seen before. When I heard that the NBA was suspending its season, and then the NHL suspended its season, and then Major League Baseball, I'd never heard of or seen anything like that before. And then, of course, uh, all the comedians, all the bands canceling their tours, and then one school after another, beginning with the colleges and then working its way down to grade schools and high schools, canceling other classes for a few weeks. Um, just been amazing. Uh, this pandemic has definitely got everyone's attention. And so heading into this week, we were concerned about whether we were really going to have church this Sunday. And it was an excruciating decision for us to make. We closely monitored uh, the guidelines that the CDC was putting out and our state and local authorities. And we were checking what other churches in the area were doing. And after a lot of thought and a lot of prayer, we decided to cancel our in-person services. And so in lieu of that, we're doing this. And so I'm glad that you've joined us. I want you to know that um, there was no fear involved in us canceling our services. Um, we don't want to promote that in the least bit. There's no reason to panic at all. And um we tr tremendously believe that God is in control, that God is sovereign, and he sees what's going on. And um, God's word teaches us to cast all our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. So I want to encourage you, if what's going on is freaking you out a little bit or bothering you, I hope you'll take that and channel that into prayer and just take what any burden or worry that you're feeling that's on your shoulders and that you would uh, just give it to God. But um, our decision to um, uh, not have church for the n next uh, week or two really uh, was uh, just a matter of choosing to be a good neighbor uh, and uh, wanting to protect the most vulnerable among us, uh, the elderly, those with respiratory issues, asthma, those with compromised immune systems. We didn't want to put anybody in an environment where we would jeopardize their health. And so we hope to be back together soon in person, as uh, soon as it's safe and we can do that responsibly. But in the meantime, I want you to know that our staff is hard at work in developing some online resources and developing uh, video for Sunday mornings. And so um, this is the start of that. And uh, we hope to serve you even more effectively um, as we need to in the future. So wanted you to know that as um, I'm about to begin the sermon, that sermon notes are online, same place where you tuned into this podcast on the podcast page. There's a little square that says PDF, and that PDF is the sermon notes. So you can take notes as you listen to this. The slides will be right here on the screen and also uh, the discussion questions. So as a family, you can interact with the discussion questions and with God's word. So um, I wanted to also let you know that you should check your inbox because yesterday on Saturday, uh, you were emailed some information, including a link to send in your prayer requests. And so we want to pray for you as we always do. And so uh, if you have anything we can pray for you about, uh, respond and click the link on that email you received and uh, we will pray for you. If you did not receive that email, that means you're not on our list, that we don't have your contact information. And so if you'd like to be included and you're feeling left out, then all you got to do is, is email or call our church office and we'd be glad to make sure you're on our mailing list. All right. Well, I think that's all the preliminary things I wanted to say. So what I'd like to do now is pray 
And then we're going to jump into God's word as we continue our study in the gospel of Mark. So please join me in prayer. Father God, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it's reliable, that it has the power to change our lives. We thank you, Father, that your word proclaims the good news of Jesus. And Father, we thank you that we know him and that he has made a difference in our lives. I pray, Father, now as we open your word, that you give us hearts that are humble, hearts that are teachable. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that uh, you would illuminate the scripture to us, that we could understand it and we could apply it to our lives. Father, I ask all these things in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Well, in Mark chapter 14, uh, we see a contrast going on. In, in, chapter, in verse 1, um, there's hate. Uh, it says, now two days before Passover in the festo festival of the unleavened bread, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. And so they were hardcore in their opposition to Jesus. They were going to uh, capture him, arrest him, kill him. And uh, they were just blinded with their hatred. Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, beginning at verse 3 in a story that we're going to look at, we see that um, uh, an unnamed woman spares no expense in expressing her devotion to Christ. And her love for him was just overwhelming. And her love stands as a witness and an example to us some 2,000 years later. And then in verse 10, we see that Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus. And so, man, that uh, contrast of the religious leaders hating him, wanting to kill him, this woman who loved him and gave him an extravagant, generous gift, and then Judas um, seeking to betray him, and ultimately he does. And so hate, love, hate, and it's really contrast where it seems like Mark is kind of saying to us, hey, where do you stand? Where do you stand in your view of Christ? Do you love him or do you hate him? Are you with him or are you against him? I think throughout Christ's ministry, he had a very polarizing effect on people. And really, there was very few people who ha didn't have an opinion, who were ambivalent. People either seemed to really be interested in Jesus and curious and ultimately loving him and following him, or they were turned off and they were offended and they became very hateful towards him. But I think the same thing holds true in our day. I think even now, Christ is a very polarizing figure. Just... Uh, Last night, I was in a meeting of our outreach influence team, and one of our uh, team members was talking about the fact how, like, when you're talking to somebody, you can use the word God. You can talk about God did this or God did that or God taught you this. And by and large, that's socially acceptable. It, it, but if you use those same phrases, but you say Jesus, the person becomes very uncomfortable and the person feels kind of offended and doesn't like that. And just going from a generic God to Jesus, Jesus Christ, um, has a polarizing effect. So things have never changed. It's, it's a reminder to us of the sobering truth that there is no middle ground that you have to make a decision about Jesus. And not making a decision is, in fact, making a decision. And I want to encourage you. Some of you are spiritual seekers, and you're not sure where you stand or what you believe about Jesus. I respect that. And that's a process, and that takes time. But I want to encourage you that 
the time comes where you do need to make a decision about him because not making a decision is indeed making a decision. And so we're going to pick it up now in Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 3. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. This incident is kind of odd for us because we're not used to people anointing people with oil. And so we wonder what this is all about. But I think even at the time of Jesus, this incident probably took them off guard. Now, it was common in the day of Christ that a host who had guests would anoint his guests with oil. Uh, The moisture of the oil would refresh the sun-damaged skin and hair That was easy to uh, get in the hot, uh, dry climate of uh, the Middle East. And this woman brought a small jar that represented a lot of money uh, because the perfume she brought was extremely expensive. It was um, the essence of nard. Uh, Nard was a plant that was imported from India, and so it, it... had a long journey to make its way to to Israel. And it was an oil that was extracted from the root of the nard plant. And um, it was highly aromatic. It was sought after, but only the most most, uh, wealthy people could afford uh, the essence of nard. And it was very expensive. We're told that what this woman poured upon Jesus was equal to a year's wages. So imagine that. It would be like us watching somebody pour fifty, sixty thousand dollars onto the ground and just like that, it's gone. And so not surprisingly, those around the table of Jesus weren't impressed. They thought she had lost her mind. They thought she had been wasteful. And in fact, we know that Judas Iscariot, who of course had some bad motives, was saying, hey, that money could have been given to the poor. What are you doing wasting money like that? In fact, when it uses the phrase, they scolded her harshly, that's a phrase that was used uh, to, to uh, describe the snort of a horse. And so it's the, it's the idea of being indignant and being up in arms over, over this, and they snorted at her like a horse. Um, she had also committed a social faux pas in that, as a woman, she approached Jesus in a public setting when that wasn't expected, and so she kind of crossed some boundaries there. What I love is that Jesus quickly comes to her defense. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done something incredible for me. 
Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you. If that's your excuse for saying she's wasteful, this money could have went to help the poor. The poor are always going to be around. I'm going to be around for just another day or two. And so it's good she ministered to me. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't discouraging uh, people helping the poor. He was just making the point that what she did for him was very timely. Jesus actually says that she anointed my body for burial. Now, it was highly unlikely this woman had any idea that Jesus was about to be killed. And even his disciples really weren't picking up on that very well. But Jesus recognized it for what it was, that it was a type of anointing. In fact, it was the only anointing he would get. By the time he was taken off the cross on Friday night, it was too late to anoint his body with oils as what they would, a corpse. And of course, they didn't do it on Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went to the tomb to anoint him with oil like this. But of course, they had a good reason why they weren't able to do it. And it's because he was raised from the dead and his body was gone. And so this anointing was the only anointing he would have in preparation for his burial. And Christ saw her extravagant gift and he gave her two thumbs up and said, what she did is a very good thing. If you remember, if you listened to the podcast or if you were here last week, about the poor widow who gave her last two coins to Jesus. And we talked about the fact that what Jesus desires from us is sacrificial worship. That true loving worship always will cost us something. And so now Jesus, again, affirms that kind of sacrificial worship with what this woman did here. Um, and meaningful worship will always cost us something. That's what Jesus values from each one of us. And I want to encourage you with something. The time may come in your life, and perhaps you've experienced it already, where Jesus may lead you to extraordinary acts of worship. Now, this might be money. This might be your time. This might be the trajectory of your life with what your career is going to be or where you're going to live. But God may lead you to do something, to give something where those around you, including your family, will think you've lost your mind and think you're being wasteful. And I want to encourage you, don't be dissuaded that when God leads you to be extraordinarily generous and worship to him, be obedient and do that. And Christ will back you up and Christ will affirm your generosity. And so even though this gift to Christ probably represented this woman's entire life savings, she gladly gave it, and Christ gladly received it. And now we're going to read about Jesus and his disciples celebrating uh, Passover together. That's why they had come to town because of Passover. They had come to Jerusalem. The city had swollen to three to four times its normal population. As pilgrims from all over the world came to celebrate Passover together within the walls of Jerusalem. And Maybe you remember, maybe you know that Passover was an ancient ritual among the Hebrews. And it was a religious observance of their deliverance from bondage in Egypt. What had happened, and it's recorded in the book of Exodus, was that they were slaves. They were in bondage to Pharaoh. And through Moses, they were delivered. And Moses had a face-off with Pharaoh. Various plagues were brought down. Moses would let the people go, then change his mind and not let them go. And it went back and forth. It was this big face-off. And finally, the tenth and final plague was a death angel 
that swept across the land and all firstborn were killed. The Passover got its name from this, that Christ gave a provision. And it's interesting because no one would be spared, not even Jews, simply because they were Jews, would be spared a death in their household. But there was an out, and the out was this, that the Jews were instructed to sacrifice a one-year-old lamb, a perfect lamb without blemish, and then to take the blood of that innocent lamb and put it on the doorposts and across the top of their doors. And then when the death angel moved its way through the city, every home that had blood on the doorpost would be spared and they would not experience the death of a child. Now, Every home had a death. It was either the death of a lamb or it was the death of a child. But death was throughout the entire um, place at that time. And so uh, that's where Passover comes from. Those who administered the blood on their door as God commanded them to, the death angel passed over and they experienced a life and not death. For the Jewish people, Passover reminded them that they were saved on the basis of their faith in a substitutionary sacrifice. This was like the biggest event that had happened in the history of the Jewish people. And so for centuries now, they had been observing Passover and God had commanded them because of God's faithfulness and God's deliverance in their life. And so now starting in verse 13 of Mark 14, it says, So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So, Jesus knew this was going to happen, and that's exactly how it did happen. So was it some preordained plan, or was it just an example of his omniscience that he knew it was going to happen? It really doesn't matter, but Jesus knew uh, that it would happen. It happened as he predicted, and extraordinarily, they found a room. Uh, as crowded as what the city was, the fact that there was an upper room available that could seat this many people and wasn't already being rented out was just amazing. But obviously, uh, that's a God thing. Now, at this time, Jesus and his disciples were staying at Bethany, a small village just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And so uh, the law stated that the Passover meal had to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. And so they were coming from Bethany and they had to find a place to settle down and eat the Passover meal within the walls of Jerusalem. The ritual slaughter of the lambs on the first day of Passover began at about 3 p.m. And then the meal itself was eaten together in families between 6 p.m. and midnight. Josephus, who was an ancient Jewish historian, um, guesstimates that at the time of Christ, some 250,000 lambs were slaughtered on the first day of the Passover. Think of that, a quarter of a million lambs. It's, I can't imagine what it was like in the temple on that day. <clears throat> but we pick it up now. They're having the Passover meal together. They're having this Seder dinner together. And we pick it up in verse 22. That as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. 
Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Have you ever been to a Seder dinner? I've been to a few of them. Uh, we've hosted a Seder dinner here a couple of different times at our church. In fact, we plan on hosting a Seder dinner here next spring, a year from now. But a Seder dinner is a reenactment of the Passover meal. And if you've ever been to a Seder dinner, you know what is true. That in the time of Christ, as is now, the Passover meal is a ritual that's very scripted. Normally, the head of the household will lead it. Oftentimes, the head of the household has it memorized, but if not memorized, read it word for word because it's very regimented how the dinner is served. And each uh, course that is served, each thing that is done is explained, and there's a lot of symbolism. And so the symbolism of the, of the different foods is explained as you go through this. And so there's a point where the host lifts the matzah, lifts the bread, and says, this is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. Well, when Jesus got to that point, imagine the astonishment of Jesus's disciples Jewish guys who had celebrated Passover their whole lives, and all of a sudden Jesus departs from the normal script that had been used for centuries, and he says, with that matzah, he says, this is my body. What in the world was he talking about? What did he mean? Jesus was saying to them, this is the bread of my affliction. This is the bread of my suffering. And then he takes the cup. At the time of Christ, the Hebrews had added uh, uh, a practice to the Passover celebration where they had four cups. And these four cups represented the four promises found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Check that out if you want, Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. But there's four promises there, and each of these cups represented each of the promises. The first promise was the rescue from Egypt. The second is freedom from slavery. The third is redemption by God's divine power. It was commonly called the cup of the Messiah. And then the fourth was a renewed relationship with God. Well, it was at this third cup, which, of course, is the cup of the Messiah, the idea, the promise of God's redemption by God's, or the people's redemption by God's divine power, that Jesus takes the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood or the new agreement in my blood. This is how I will get you into the kingdom of God. Again, it, it, it's getting away from the script and they had to have been shocked what Jesus was saying. But Jesus was saying this renewed relationship is going to come through the sacrifice, not of the Passover lamb that you're used to, but through my sacrifice, through my blood, through my suffering. Any Passover meal had bitter herbs, had bread, had wine. But there was no such thing as a vegan Passover meal. And the main course was the roasted lamb, the lamb that had been sacrificed, whose blood had been drained out. And yet in all the gospel accounts, there's no mention 
of the lamb being served on this table. I want to suggest to you that there was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. That there was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. That Jesus was in fact the main course. We're reminded of this in the scriptures in a couple of different places. One is John 1 verse 29. Do you remember the first time, uh, one of the first times that John gave public proclamation to Jesus? And John the Baptist said this, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John understood the mission of Christ and what his ultimate destiny would be here on earth. And John recognized him as the Lamb of God, referring to the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul again confirms this by saying, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And so when Christ said, take it, this is my body. When Christ said, take it, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He's communicating that this is the real food you need. That Christ's unconditional commitment to you is what we all need to experience life and nourishment. You know as well as I do that you don't get the benefit of food unless you eat it and digest it. And so Christ said, take me in. I am your meal. Trust in me. Believe in me. I am the Passover lamb. I am the one who fulfills the cup of the Messiah. That you come to me and believe in me and you will enter the kingdom of God and you will have the forgiveness of your sins. In preparation for this message, I was reading an excellent book by Timothy Keller called King's Cross, and it's his commentary on the Gospel of Mark. And I wanted to share with you a quote directly out of this book by Timothy Keller because I thought it was so perfect for what we're looking at today and a good way to kind of wrap up our thoughts. Look what um, he wrote. Imagine you were in Egypt just after the first Passover. If you stopped Israelites in those days and said, who are you and what is happening here? They would say, I was a slave under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and escaped bondage. And now God lives in our midst and we are following him to the promised land. That is exactly what Christians say today. If you trust in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice, the greatest longings of your heart will be satisfied on the day you sit down for that eternal feast in the promised kingdom of God. And so indeed, Jesus is our Passover lamb, and it's through his substitutionary sacrifice on our part that we're covered in blood, we escape death, and we get renewed relationship with the living God. As Jesus celebrated this Passover meal with his disciples, um, this was an extraordinary thing because he extracted them from their families. It was tradition. It was normal that you would celebrate Passover with your own individual family. And so the fact that Jesus pulled these men aside and together celebrated Passover spoke of the fact that Jesus was creating a new family that they had a spiritual bond that would transcend any differences they might have. And I want to encourage you and tell you that when you take the Lord's Supper in church, 
you're doing it with brothers and sisters. And the spiritual bond you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ is a bond stronger than if you had been raised under the same roof. Our differences are transcended by the blood of Christ and his work in our lives is seen through the unity that he gives us. We had scheduled today, if we had been all together in church, to now serve communion, to participate in that together. What a meaningful thing to do and what an obvious thing to do in light of the scripture that we just looked at today. This is what I want to encourage you to do. I want to invite you to serve communion to yourself in your own home right now. And it doesn't matter if you're all by yourself or you're with your family or with some friends, but take the time right now to serve communion. Um, you can just mimic what you normally see done at church, but you can just pray and thank God for the bread and take it. You can pray and thank God for his blood shed on the cross and then take the cup. Um, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, uh, really, any bread will do. You could piece of white bread, wheat bread, a tortilla, a saltine cracker, whatever you have can be used for the bread and for the cup. It can be wine, it can be grape juice, it can be water, it can be orange juice, whatever you have, whatever works. Uh, to be honest, in my youth group days, right on the rim of the Grand Canyon, we celebrated communion with my youth group and we used a Twinkie and Mountain Dew. So if you can use Twinkie and a Mountain Dew to celebrate communion, I'm guessing you have something that would work as well in your home right now. So don't be shy. I know it might feel weird because you're used to being served communion in church, but I just do this. And I think it'll be a really meaningful time for you and anybody that's with you. You know what? There might be somebody here watching this who you're going to take communion for the first time today because you've been respectful of our instruction to not take communion unless you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome if today you decided to cross the line of faith, to get off straddling the fence on what you believe about Jesus and just Get all in. Just make a commitment. Ask Christ into your life to make that commitment to him. Swear your allegiance to him. And then, you know what? You could serve yourself communion right now for the first time in your life. And what a powerful, awesome thing that would be. So I'm praying that for some of you watching, right now will be your first communion. And it's indicative of the choice you've made to right now become a follower of Christ. Well, um, I'd like to pray for the offering right now. And in this time where we're not meeting together, it's absolutely vital that as the family of God, the people of ACC, that we remain faithful in the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And the money that we set aside for God, we don't lose track of it, but we faithfully give it. And so I want to encourage you to give online. You can go to our website and I think figure out pretty easy how to give online. But if that's confusing or difficult for you in any way, you can contact our church office and we'd be glad to walk you through that. If giving online, you're not comfortable with that, you can mail in your check this next week. But obviously, we're depending upon God's people in this time where we can't meet together to remain faithful in the giving of their gifts. And so um, we're trusting that will happen and we're praying that will happen. We need it to happen. And so I'd like to pray for the offering like we always do. And then um, so please join me in prayer. Father God, um, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to worship you through the giving of our financial resources. 
And God, we know that you want us to be a people who give generously, who give sacrificially, who give cheerfully, Father, that it's it's a thing of love for us to fund the work of the gospel. And so, God, in this time where we're not meeting together, I pray that you place it on each of our hearts, the discipline to continue to give, whether online or mailing of a check or whatever, Father, that um, we will continue to support the work of ACC. And so, uh, Lord, we... Uh, Give this offering as an act of worship, however we get it in. Um, it's a way that we tell you that we love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my friends, I uh, just want to encourage you. We live in an extraordinary time right now. And it's a time not to be afraid, not to shrink back, but a time to shine as the people of God to stand out as the people of God. And so I want to encourage you in your neighborhood, in your apartment building, if you're still reporting for work, wherever, that you seek to bless those around you, that you pray for others, you interact with others, uh, that you share your toilet paper if you need to, that you share your food if you need to. Uh, and, you know, you might not feel comfortable going door to door and seeing people in person. Maybe you do. If you do, that's fine. But otherwise, get on the phone. And just hearing a voice of someone else saying, hey, just checking in on you. I want to make sure you're okay, seeing if you need anything, especially with elderly neighbors or shut-ins you might have. Uh, think who lives around you and how you could reach out to them. But this is our opportunity to be people of faith, to tell people we're not afraid, we're trusting in Jesus, and we believe God is in control. And so I hope God gives you the opportunity to bless people in these days and that you can stand as a strong witness for him. My friends, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Uh, God is indeed with us. And so now receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Serve him.